I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode of 12-Pack Radio is made possible by Nextiva, the official communications partner of the Pac-12. And the best business phone service is chosen by U.S. News and World Report. Nextiva helps companies all over Pac-12 countries stay connected with customers and coworkers using one easy-to-use app. Get Nextiva for your business to get business phone service, video conferencing, team chat, call reporting, and more, all for a fraction of what you would pay for those services separately. Make great calls every day. Visit nextiva.com slash 12-Pack to get started. Nextiva.com slash 12-Pack. To get started. Oh, South Kakalaka! Don't you dare be sour! Clap for your world-famous two-time champs and feel the power! It's a new day, yes it is! For 12-Pack Radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to Twelve Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the Beta Rank College Football Statistical Model. This is a Sharp College Football Podcast, and I'm Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. We continue to crank through our spring, uh, almost at spring win totals because they came out today, Rob, but uh, our spring questions so that we are prepared to knock out these uh College football Pac-12 win totals. We have a number of games uh, whose lines have started to come up, and I'm fascinated by all of them. So we have plenty of, uh, I hate hate the word content, plenty of subjects to talk to as we go through the Pac-12 offseason. I'm joined, as always, by Rob Bowron from Sharp College Football. How are you, Rob? I'm good. I'm uh, like we're we're closing in. Uh, Reddit College Football pointed out there's only like 14 more Saturdays before we finally have a college football game. That's awesome. 14, yeah. 14 more. That's good. Which also shows that I need to get my act together at work. Yeah. At least have the web the year has already gone by. Holy goodness. Well, there is a lot of news to to cover actually today. We have a couple transfer portal changes. We have uh, our opening subject, Rob, which is fascinating to me and more fascinating because I don't really have a take on it. I'm just kind of curious where the chips will fall. And uh, the Pac-12 made a major decision. Rob, you want to talk about what happened and uh, let the fine people know where, uh, what do you think it means for the conference? Yeah. So the, the NCAA um, passed a bunch of different rule changes that have, you know, in this past uh, voting cycle. Um, And I think that was last week. And the, the one that's probably received the most headlines is the fact that you no longer have to have divisions to hold a conference championship game. Now the, um, the big 12 had had an exception to this. Um, but now you no longer have to divide off like the, the main effect for the other conferences, of course, is it means that they can do away with divisions. Um, and many of them likely will. Um, and there's already, you know, like on Sunday night, you know, some of the some of the schedules, this is like future schedules disappeared off the Big Ten website. Um, but what is it was so the Pac-12 was actually the first conference to announce, at least Power Five conference to announce that they would be 
uh, doing away with the requirement that you win your division to play in the conference championship game in the Pac-12. You will just the the teams with the two best conference winning percentages um, will you know play in the conference championship game. But there's a big assumption out there, and I think you know more so on the in the Pacific Northwest that. <clears throat> This means the Pac-12 will do away with divisions because a lot of the other major conferences will. And I, I'm, it's a little more complicated within the Pac-12. Um, and that is, you know, when, you know, in, in the, the, the gripe amongst the Pacific Northwest schools um, is because they are not only not in the same division as the two LA schools, but because of the agreement that UCLA and USC secured when the Pac-12 formed out of the Pac-10, um, USC and UCLA traded equal revenue distribution, which the, the old Pac-10 model had not been equal revenue distribution. Um, they traded equal revenue distribution for a guarantee that they would be able to continue to play their traditional rivals in Cal and Stanford every year. So this means if you're in the Pac-12 North and you're not Cal or Stanford, you actually see you, you get to go to UC, you you get to go to LA even less often than you would than you would have under just a straight up divisional format with without those rivalries. But this was something that like Pat Hayden, who was the USC AD at the time, um, really felt was important for USC. Um, but it was it was a major concession that USC made. I mean, in particular, USC made for that equal revenue distribution. Um, fast forward now, and you know, a lot of the schools in the Pacific Northwest are and, and fan bases are really pumped to potentially break up divisions and get to go to LA more often. You know, potentially the LA or you know, the the Pac-12 for scheduling purposes would form into pods, you know, with like a Pacific Northwest pod, a California pod, and then, you know, a mountain and Arizona pod. But it's a little more complicated because nowhere else in college football do you have a Los Angeles. <laughs> so there's nowhere else in college football that is anywhere that has anywhere like the gravitational pull of Los Angeles and Southern California does for the PAC 12. Um, not just for recruiting, you know, part of Colorado and Utah joining the conference was that they have a huge alumni base in Southern California. The annual trips that those teams in the South make, the Arizona schools and, and the two mountain schools make are huge fundraising trips where they go out and get in touch with alumni, you know. So it's a in that you have to have nine votes to, in order to do away with divisions within the Pac-12. It just I'm I think everyone's assuming this is going to happen. And I'm not saying it won't. I'm just I don't think this is something that the Arizona schools and the mountain schools are just going to trade away. And that's probably going to make it a little more complicated calculus wise. Like I would expect you would see the ACC and the SEC and the big 10, you know, and the big 12 doesn't have divisions, but you know, likely do away with divisions in the near future. Um, it will just be a little more complicated in the PAC 12 because that, that chip that the Arizona and mountain schools have right now, which is, you know, getting to go to LA every year is, is a really valuable chip. It's not, there's nowhere else in, I mean, you could maybe argue like the big 10 in Chicago. I mean, the big 10 has a huge alumni footprint in Chicago, but even that's not really 
that similar, you know, um, there's just nothing quite because you don't recruit that. You don't recruit that heavily in Chicago. If you're a big 10 school, there's just nothing like LA in any other conference. Um, and so it is an incredibly valuable thing, uh, that schools are going to have to sort of come to an agreement on. And I expect eventually they will. Yeah, when you talk about some of the schools in the Pac-12, I mean, they always talk about, oh, we need to recruit Southern California. We need to recruit the Los Angeles area. I mean, it's just, it is a hotbed of excellent high school football. Some of the best quarterbacks in the country continuously come out of Southern California. You know, one of the things that I know is difficult is finding the offensive and more more importantly, the defensive linemen, right? And yeah. that's, that's, a, that's usually not in California, but a lot of the skill positions, a lot of the quarterbacks, a lot of just the talent in general come out of Los Angeles. So that's really interesting to me. Um, yeah, well, we'll keep an eye on that as the conference continues to evolve, which I think is a good thing. It, it just looks like the um, the commissioner we have now is much more willing to uh, shake things up rather than say my plan is the best way forward. So you like you know get on board and. I'm going to announce my raise from Las Vegas uh, to the entire staff. So it's just <laughs> nice to finally get away from that era. And uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on, on more changes that come out of the Pac-12. You know, Rob, moving into some other news before. By, by the way, we're going to talk about um, some regular stats versus some advanced stats here uh, in another segment. We'll also do our previews or our spring questions for the Los Angeles schools. But I wanted to just tick through a couple additions from the transfer portal that have happened recently, because I think that just with their landing spots for some of the top players is fascinating. Uh, Ricky Pearsall, who... I think is a fine possession receiver. You know, when we were doing some research on ASU in terms of their wide receiving core, which is always fascinating because they had all of those awesome four-star, you know, uh, players that committed to the program. And then Ricky Pearsall is like the, the, the player that everybody that was covering ASU was pointing to as being like the top wide receiver. So I think I thought that was a little worrisome, um, but a, a consistent player. He's gone from ASU and is a, ends up at Florida, which I thought was interesting. Uh, Jermaine Lole, the uh, the defensive lineman who I think a lot of players were looking or a lot of programs were looking after, ends up at Louisville. So did not transfer in the conference, ends up going out of conference. I'm sure there's a couple NIL deals set up for him. Oh, yeah. Peter Castelli, the four star quarterback from Utah, ends up at Troy. So that's yeah. that's interesting to me. Um, of course, Jordan Addison goes from Pitt to USC. We covered that last week. And I'm just looking through any of these other ones. Oh, LV Bunky Sh- Bunkley Shelton, you know, speaking of ASU wide receiving transfers, ends up at Oklahoma. So that I, I, I'm going to keep an eye on that because. Yeah, that's she- the one to watch. Yeah, like because like Shelton and um, uh, Elijah Badger, that whole class, yeah, Chad Johnson's kid, um, you know, they just they have not produced on the field. And if he goes to Oklahoma and starts catching some passes. I mean, I think that coaching staff at ASU is already out the door soon because of the sanctions and all that stuff. But um, I think it's just more confirmation that either they needed a better offensive system, better coaches, because, I mean, I get it, right? Like, star stars matter if when you have, a, like, a lot of them, right? If you get a, a big recruiting class with a lot of uh, high pedigree guys, you are more likely to be successful. I mean, that's just in the numbers. And so, uh, but not every player that you get, you know, that's a four-star, five-star kid is going to pan out. But it is really worrisome that ASU got like six of them at the wide receiving core and like none of them have been productive yet. So um, something to, to keep a lookout for there. Anything else in, in the transfer portal, Rob, that popped out to you? No, I mean, so the other big news for the rule changes, though, was that 
the oversigning rule, the Houston nut rule, um, which has limited classes to a 25 man limit has been suspended for two years. And so if you are a coaching staff and you are looking, and this is interesting too, because like you, there was that article about how USC was able to basically sort of like cut guys as long as they were willing to offer them the ability to stay in school at USC with the full academic support and scholarship, you could basically cut players. <laughs> and, um, but now with this rule change, like, you know, if, if you are, and there have been, you know, quite a few coaching turn, you know, there's been quite a bit of coaching turnover in the PAC 12 of late. Um, you can fill in the rest of your roster um, from the transfer portal. So this is good. I mean, like there are a lot of guys in the transfer portal. Part of it is the COVID year of additional eligibility. Part of it is that a lot of guys first year uh, or first transfer. Um, but this should help both clear out the portal and fill out roster depth. Nice. Yeah, we'll keep a lookout for that. Um, I know that initially these rules were put in place, right, to provide parity. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually more interested to see how people screw with this law <laughs> to get an advantage yeah. rather than, uh, the, uh, the, you know, the initial, the actual intent in which it was, uh, put forward, but okay. Well, that, that's something to keep an eye out for. One, one of the things I want to talk to Rob here was, uh, I, so we're doing, we're, we've, we've completed our rosters, which is great. So, um, and it's just in time, right? Because the, the season win totals from Las Vegas just came out a few, like yesterday, actually. Maybe it was today. Anyway, in any case, um, those came out. We have some of the game of the year lines that have already come out. So I think we're in a position where we're really going to be able to start putting our uh, you know nose to the grindstone and start actually figuring out, hey, which of these teams are not only going to be good, but you know might over overshoot or undershoot their expectations because now we know what the expectations are. But as I was going through these, one of the things that I've always found interesting is how to break down the offensive line and the defensive line in terms of like the the havoc that they're able to to cause some of the sacks or tackles for loss that they've been able to uh, either prevent or or can't couldn't prevent and because it's just really interesting to me to see whether or not they can protect the quarterback they can prevent defenses for coming in the backfield uh, the one thing the problem with some of these numbers is that they're raw so I thought this was kind of a good opportunity to bounce some raw numbers by you and to kind of see if what the numbers, you know, the, the production of the offensive line or the, de the defensive line from last year match up with some of your numbers that you have. So uh, all that to say is I went through tackles for loss allowed and tackles for loss that were racked up by teams throughout the conference. And as I was doing this, some of the really just some of the schools totally popped out because they, they were schools that I didn't expect to have either really good uh, production or like terrible production. And I'll start, I'm going to start with Washington State because th the number there really jumped out to me because they were um, on paper a lot worse than I had anticipated the offensive line there. You know, you think of, even though it's not the air raid, like the run and shoot, you just think of a quarterback that's able to, to make decisions you know, quickly to get the ball out, to get it to the right person and to try to prevent tackles in the backfield. And when I was looking over at Washington State's numbers, uh, this kind of really screwed with my mindset of them because when their future uh, odds came out in terms of winning the Pac-12. It was like 33 to one. And when we were doing our spring questions, we kind of look, looked at it and said, well, if you really squint, you know, you might, you can actually see a Washington state team that could possibly compete for the Pac-12 in the North. And then I looked at these numbers. I'm like, oh man, this might've thrown a wrench in, in that statement. So uh, tackles for loss allowed. Washington state allowed 6.77 tackles for loss per game. 
It's 106th, Rob, in the country. And then if you yeah. flip it on the other side, the tackles for loss given. Um, so they only racked up five, uh, basically 5.15 tackles for a loss, um, which puts them at 93rd. And that really jumped out to me because I, in my mind, had the offensive line as being a little better than that. And, you know, when we talk about the defense and uh, Dickert's ability to, you know, make something out of nothing, I looked at that and went like, oh, wow, maybe they weren't causing the havoc that I had anticipated that they, they uh, would cause. How do those numbers match up with the advanced stats? And is, is this an anomaly? Because your, your model beta rank is taking a look at schedule strength and, you know, the, the teams they're actually playing. So I, I think it'll just add a little bit more context and clarity as we're looking at these teams as we start to pr- do our projections. Yeah. So negative drives is the one that's going to correspond closest to here. And it is disruptive plays, including tackles for a loss, uh, but also turnovers uh, and three and outs. Um, And Washington state offensively was middle of the power five here. I mean, so there's a big opponent adjustment. Um, And yeah, I mean, like you may allow a lot of tackles for a loss. You know, you may offset that. I mean, if you're still picking up first downs and not going three and out, it's not the end of the world, <laughs> I yeah, guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's not a, it's not a, it's not a great number, but it's not a bad number. Um, you know, I think for them, I mean, offensively, they were only at 36 last season uh, on offense. Um, and, and two, I mean, like they're, I, I do think, and we've talked about this. I think their offensive line is going to be a better fit for the air raid than what they would do in throw and shoot. Um, you flip it around though. And the negative drives on defense is really good. They're at 18, you know, in the top 20 there, this is, and this was actually their best number. Um, so it's not just tackles for a loss. They did a really good job forcing three and outs and turnovers. Some of that of course is aided and abetted by that game against ASU where ASU really turned the ball over a bunch of times against them. But you know, this defense really relied on their ability to cause confusion and, and uh, you know, really force the offense to do negative. I mean, three and outs are really negative things. I mean, you didn't there. You had no field position, essentially. Um, and you give the ball right back turnovers, you know, tackles for a loss. They did a They did a decent job here. I think all in all, um, when you look at what you might consider like havoc or, you know, like uh, type plays. OK. All right. That makes me feel better because. You know, you watch these games, and I watched a lot of Washington State football last year, and I was like, "Oh no, what?" Did, like, yeah, that, that's why the advanced stats are important because they highlight other things that aren't just tackles for a loss. But I was just, I like that measurement because sometimes it just it lets you know, oh, yeah. like, and, and maybe you know, one, and they they were pretty bad at effective rush too, weren't they this past year? Uh, yeah, they were not. See, like they they did it. They were a lot better against the past. They were at sixty in effective rush, um, number twelve in effective pass. I mean, that's. I mean, that that jumps out and tells you something right there too, right? Like they may they're not they were not often getting into the backfield um, to stop the run. But what they did do pretty well was they they did cover pretty well and cause coverage sacks and some you know and and uh, you know like really slow down offenses there that's a real positive I think for them yeah and then the lack of production on the offense from the running game I think bears out yeah. a little bit there where you know we were we were expecting really big things from uh, Macintosh and Borgie and we just didn't get it so okay all right I, f- I feel a little better I, I still think it's a little shaky on the running game from the offensive side right like, re- oh, like yeah. they really need a better but maybe they don't if they're just going to throw the ball like 70 times a game so well they apparently we, after the last game last time our last conversation on Wazoo I went and looked it up um, and they're not like a full on Mike Leach 
you know, air raid, they, they th- will throw the ball about two thirds of the time, roughly. Um, and so they are going to expect to be able to run the football. Okay. And they're going to need to if they're going to. I mean, they're gonna, you don't want to be USC where you're calling a bunch of runs and then not producing. Okay. Here's another one that really popped out for me. And we're going to cover this team next week when we do our, our spring questions. That's Cal. Actually, you know, I, I thought I was going to be down on Cal in this coming year. I think I'm, you know, we'll, we'll have a longer conversation about this in the future. But I'm actually like I was I was. It's inter- Cal, Cal is an interesting program to me moving into next year. And one of the things that was fascinating was I was looking at tackles for loss allowed and Cal only had like 4.67 tackles per loss, which put them 18th in the country. And when you think of Cal, you don't think of like offensive lines that are really going to blow you out of the water. And I think that the offensive line coach that they got is more of a recruiter. But when I took up the, the raw stats, I, anyway, that, that, that number I was not expecting, you know, you like scroll down, you're like, oh, where's Cal? Where's Cal? And I'm like, oh, snap. They're like in the first, you know, they're, they're on the splash page. They're not like down in the bottom. So, you know, on the offensive side, what were the negative drives for Cal? They were at 82. And so like a big huh. thing with Cal is that they played a really easy schedule. Oh. Um, they played the easiest schedule of defenses in the Pac-12 by a pretty good margin. So like Cal played the 90th most difficult slate of uh, defenses in college in, in the pack in, in all of college football last season. Um, the next closest pack 12 team is Washington who played the 67th easiest slate of defenses. Yeah. So like, I mean, Cal's Cal's a bit of an outlier in the pack 12 is like having faced a really, really easy bunch of defenses. Um, and then there, some of what you might see there with there is what they really, I mean, they really lacked in efficiency. Um, they were at 121 in drive efficiency, but like there, you know, you have Garbers who can buy you some time with his legs. I just, I'm, that's a, that's a decent number for Cal. It's something you could potentially feel like you could build on. I'm interested to see with the new quarterback coming in, if he holds the ball at all, because that was thing like Garbers, would be, could buy you some stuff with his legs and generally made good decisions and got rid of the football sometimes. Like, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. What, we'll see. If, like, cause you know, a lot, sometimes you can, you know, a, you know, a, um, a, you know, an offensive line can pile up tackles for a loss in sacks. And some of those are on the quarterback too. Oh, that's interesting. And they lose their two starting guards. Um, yeah, that, that started for like three years. They also lose a couple of the guys on the backup front. So it'll be interesting to see what that offensive line was, but, uh, that worries me a little bit more, right? Cause you look and you go, wow, Cal. Okay. Yeah. Got an offensive line there. But, uh, you know, them being down in the eighties and negative drives on the offensive side, uh, also highlights, okay, maybe those numbers aren't as good when you actually take a look at who they're playing one. Okay. So one jumped out at me here and that's Oregon state, Rob. Because when you take a look at the, the tackles for loss allowed, um, 3.54, fourth in the country. And my immediate confirmation bias comes up. I'm like, ah, we, we know. We like Mahalchek. We like their, we their offensive yeah. line coach. Were they that good, though, on negative drives? Yes. Yeah, so this is one of their best numbers. They were at 10 overall in negative drives. Um, so not a lot of three and outs, not a lot of turnovers, not a lot of tackles for a loss. Like, they did a really good job here. Um 
you know, showing up and executing. I mean, of course they have a really big run pass split, um, as well as they run the football number 11 overall at effective rush. There's just a, there's a lot to like, I think about the, the way, and we're not wrong about the way that things work, like where they hurt. I mean, the things that like where Oregon state would have to improve is they just weren't explosive the number 42 and explosive drives. Okay. That's good. That's good because I'm like fourth. Holy Moses! Like you know. Yeah, yeah, that one showed up. <laughs> yeah, and, and it looks like it, right? Because you just we just are big believers in that that offensive line and just what they've been able to develop, um, and what he's able been able to develop team after team. It's not just at Oregon State; it's been elsewhere too. So um, maybe they maybe they're giving all their defensive um, coordinator money to their offensive line coach, which you know in retrospect might be a good idea. <laughs> wise that is if, if they were if they're paying Mahalchek extra money, then that is a wise choice. <laughs> um, all right, so right right across the way here, Eugene, Oregon, and the numbers split here is fascinating uh, from a, a you know a raw stats here. They they were tenth in the country in tackles for loss allowed, just four per game, but they were a yeah. hundredth on defense in terms of tackles for uh, a loss that their defense was able to collect at five per game. So I just I think this is the wildest split of any team in the Pac-12. Do those numbers hold up when you take a look at uh, at the advanced stats? Well, it gets a little wonky for the, I mean, so like it does on offense. Um, they were pretty good at negative drives, number 23 there. They also played a pretty decent schedule of defenses. Um, they were at number 16 overall um, in the set of defenses they played. So they weren't doing this against air um, for sure. I mean, in, you know, of course, getting Utah twice doesn't help. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it helps your strength of schedule. It doesn't help your, you know, your feelings, I suppose you could say. Um, <clears throat> defensively, what the Ducks, you know, like the, now they did play a, and some of this is getting Ohio State and then getting Utah twice is they, they played the number five overall schedule of defense or of offenses in college football for their defense. Um, and that helps color their numbers. I mean, they're number 16 overall in negative drives. But so again, like think of that as like, it's not just tackles for a loss here. It's, you know, turnovers, they were aided and abetted by Jordan McLeod. In yeah, five. five yeah. Game. <laughs> um, and then you, but like they, they, they were also pretty good at three and outs. What they struggled with, what, you know, the, the defense with Deruder last year struggled with was drive efficiency. I mean, teams could just put together drives against them. I mean, Arizona drove the ball up and down the field against them. UCLA did it, you know, and probably Dorian Thompson Robinson's best performance. Um, They were decent. I mean, they they really did a a good job in, in a lot of phases last year, but they just couldn't put it all together and they gave up a lot of points. Um, That's certainly something that I think if you are an Oregon fan with, you know, Thibodeau going so high, the defensive line wasn't all, that dominant last season they really need they really need a lot more of a sort of group effort yeah. <laughs> um and of course having line but you know they had some injuries absolutely i every i feel like every time i say something in a video or other like somebody's like do you remember the injuries i'm like everybody has injuries um every like everyone has injuries um but they've got to step up and uh they've got to like they're gonna i i I expect them to like i i think a lot of the holes that oregon had defensively last year should be cleaned up with what should be a a new and better staff under landing bringing you know what he learned under saban uh, and kirby smart Mm. i just talked about oregon's uh split but oregon state also had the same split right they are fourth in the country and then tackles for loss that were, you know, racked up by the defense were 4.92. They were 105th in the country. 
does that yeah, they get, yeah they get a little bit of a bump i mean a very small bump from like playing a slightly better schedule than some of those like group of five teams um but they were at 81 and negative drives they really struggled there hmm. the last team that was just interesting in terms of their numbers uh <laughs> actually there's two of them so the the first l- let's talk about usc because oh my gosh and I think this is going to be the truth when we talk about the numbers here. So USC was 121st in the country in tackles for loss. That's insane. I mean, their defense sucked last year. We saw that. But, oh, my gosh. Like, are you freaking kidding? That's like bottom 10, right? Like, didn't there are only, only 130 yeah. teams in the in the, the entire, like, Division yep. One. Oh, yep. is, that, is that about – is that fair when you take a look at the numbers? Yeah, they were at 87 in negative drives last season on defense. They really struggled. Yeah, they were bad. I mean, they were at 70 in effective rush, 119 in effective pass. I mean, they were hideous last year. Oh, my gosh. And then with them, if you flip it a little bit, and I don't want to give them too much credit because 31st in the country isn't great. But um, they were 31st in the – which is like, right, we always talk about the 30s being the middle of Division One football. Um, but – one of the things that we have for a number of years been it's, it's always the, but when you talk about USC is, but their offensive line sucks, but their offensive line sucks. Um, they were 31st in the country in tackles for loss allowed about five per game. That's not bad. Um, does that bear out in the negative drives? Yeah. There are 19 in negative drives last season, which is really their best number offensively. They struggled with drive efficiency. They just weren't consistent and couldn't put together drives to put up points. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, you know, and we'll talk about USC. We'll give them that that spring questions. I mean, they returned basically their whole offensive line. So if you want to have a base to work from, that's a heck of a base because those guys should be better if they have better coaching and they just brought in the offensive line coach from Texas A&M. So I think you actually have, you're a USC fan and you're saying, Hey, we're going to compete for the PAC 12 in general, which I still think Utah is, is the favorite, but you can point there and say, all right, that that should check off as being like, all right, we don't have to worry about the offensive line, which I can't believe I'm saying because we haven't been able to say that for USC for like five yeah. years. <laughs> oh no, I feel like people are way off. Like, like I mean, the the a lot of the comments when uh, USC got Addison were that he didn't play offensive line, and I just th- I think people are off base there. Like, I just don't think they know. I mean. I just don't think that they really know what USC's problems are or were <laughs> last year. I mean, the offensive line was a bit of a problem last year, but like the coach, like the new coach should, as you and I know from having watched a lot of offensive line coaching changes around the Pac-12, and we just got done talking about a really good one at Oregon State, like a really good coach makes a big difference and it's not as if usc doesn't have talented players uh particularly you know they've recruited well in the trenches at offensive line um usc's real problems that we'll get into might be at safety (laughs) (laughs) let's go let's go i love when i love when a team has bad safeties right you just throw that tight end all day every day (laughs) oh god like a tight like a tight end bend route where like the linebacker just kind of can't stay with them and the safety's like not doing their job yeah that's I have a party hat and pom poms for every time a tight end gets like twenty five yard, you know, big <laughs> catch. So I just love it. It's like the best. Uh, okay, let's last team, and then we're gonna actually break down uh, some questions for USC and UCLA, and that's Utah. And I think both of these numbers are are fine. Tackles for loss allowed three point seven nine, seventh in the country. 
and, and this jumped out to me because one of the bigger questions we had about Utah was the offensive line. I think some of this is probably, you know, like you had excellent running backs and you had Cam Rising who was able to run the ball. So I'm wondering if that covers for a little bit of it. But um, but seventh of the country, even it doesn't matter because those guys return. Um, is that the production we saw in the event stats? Yeah, they were number five in negative drives. Like that really does hold up offensively. They um they made some changes too. I mean, like uh under the under the radar, I mean the big change, of course, that happened with that San Diego State game was the QB change. Uh, but they also did some shuffling. Nick Ford moved inside um from tackle to guard. Um, and they that helped clean up. And I, I also think Ludwig just sort of was sort of threw out some of the stuff that they were trying to do. <laughs> and, you know, you hate, like, it sounds funny to say it, but like he went with the plays that worked. Like he, he went with the plays for the players that he had. <laughs> uh, um, which were not the wide receivers uh, as no. always. <laughs> um, and then on defense, they were 25th in the country, seven tackles for loss given. Is that um, roundabouts? I always, it always struck me like the defense was pretty good at stuffing the run, but not necessarily getting in the backfield. Does that, you know, carry out with the, um, kind of the havoc rules that you have at beta rank. Yeah, they were at number 17 in negative drives. Um, you know, they did a really good job there. They were really good against the run last year, really good in their run fit. Um, you know, like with the linebackers, you know, and the defensive line, really knowing their assignments and what they were doing, they were at number six in effective rush. Um, and that's part of like why they were able to really shut down Oregon's offense so much because Oregon's offense was truly a big play rush offense um, where Utah struggled. And I think this is a, like we talked about a little of this when we previewed them is there. Um, it's interesting because they do bring back Phillips. So I think it has the potential to be a pretty early draft pick, but outside of Phillips, they kind of stunk against the pass last season, 34 overall. That does put you in the middle of the power five, but that's not necessarily one of you where you want to be. If you're Utah um, defensively, they have some work to do uh, in coverage and in getting to the passer. Ooh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, you know, if you have an Achilles heel like that and you have a good quarterback, uh, <laughs> that could be a problem. So, I mean, Caleb Williams, welcome yeah. to the crowd. I mean, like, yeah. we saw, like, I, I feel like last year we were like, there are no good quarterbacks. I mean, like, Cam Rising is like, ended up, of course, being quite good. But this year, like, I, you definitely look around and you're like, you're like, not just, um, Caleb Williams rising is of course back. Um, and then Ward is of course intriguing at Washington state. You've got Penix at Washington. He was really good the last time, you know, he was reunited with uh, his former OC, uh, in DeBoer. So there's, it's, it suddenly looks kind of fun in the PAC 12 for QBs for a change. Yeah. Dorian Thompson Robinson in his fourth oh, year yeah. where he's not throwing the ball backwards anymore. Um, Tanner McKee, yeah. right? Like I, Tanner McKee might like throw it well, I mean, the wide receiving core for Stanford is good. They might not be able to run the ball for a lick, but he's pretty good. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Like last year, we were pretty bummed out about the quarterbacks. This year, I think the conference is going to be a lot stronger. Um, so we'll keep a look on that. Okay, Rob, we're going. Well, any anything else on those stats uh, before we we move on? No, I mean, I. Uh, but yeah, do check out. I mean, it's always useful to try to ground what you're seeing with some advanced metric. And so if, and that might, that may very well be just looking at like the overall number um, and then trying to like, sort of like break it down. But it is, it, like I said, like it is good to sort of like, you are going to have some teams that are outliers on some particular raw stat. Um, and then you look at the rest of it and you're like, Oh, but they're good at this. Why weren't they good at everything else? And like, they usually weren't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's why I wanted to check with you because that makes me feel better again about my bullishness on Washington state. Um, in particular, that's kind of one where, and, and to be able to confirm like, yeah, Utah can, 
Utah had it on both sides. I mean, there was some ground they can make up in the pass defense, but um, yep. it seems like they've kind of returned to their old ways in the trenches, and that's great if you're a Ute fan. All right, let's get to our spring questions for USC and UCLA, and let's do it right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're back. We're talking L.A. schools. We're talking L.A. schools and just two really interesting teams. We have UCLA coming off of a pretty good year for uh, Chip Kelly. You know, I think there was a lot of pressure on him. I was not sold on his ability to finally produce. And, and he did, you know, it wasn't the best year, but certainly enough to be able to sign an extension. I was impressed with how they were finally able to move that offense, uh, given their lack of talent at wide receiver, um, given their questionable, you know, running backs, you know, Jack, Zach Charbonnet coming over from Michigan. Was he going to work? The, the answer was yes, with a five exclamation points. And then USC, just a totally new team with a totally new coaching staff. And um, as I was looking through the transfers, it's like, oh, okay. Okay, that could work. Oh, that one could work. Oh, that like it was just kind of, you know, a lot of these teams, Rob, when you take a look at transfers, you go, I mean, maybe, but with USC, I really do like they have some legit people that they're plugging into these positions. And if they don't work out, they still do have like the the blue chip talent that wasn't able to produce that they can throw in. So I just think that these these two teams are uh, definitely some of the most intriguing as we move into 2022. Let's start with UCLA. Uh, you know, I think Dorian Thompson Robinson in his fourth or fifth year, I forget what it is now, probably fourth. I kind of trust him now. <laughs> I mean, I don't, like not, in, not, you know, not with my life, but you know, if, if with, <laughs> maybe with my friend's life, you know, like, yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> is that fair? Yeah. I mean, they took a pretty big step forward offensively last year. They were number 11 overall on beta rank. Um, now they still weren't a great throwing the football around, you know, number 43 in effective pass, but six in effective rush and Dorian Thompson Robinson, like I think what often killed them to, to your point was the mistakes, right? Like the, just the glaring awful mistakes that he would make. Um, and he's really cut down on those. Um, now he's not, I think, you know, like he's in, but he, and, and he was more dynamic in the running game than we had seen him. Um, you know, in, in past seasons. So I, I like where UCLA ended up offensively last year. I think the one interesting thing to watch is, I mean, the staff got raided, um, but Justin Fry, their offensive line coach, is off to Ohio State. Ooh, I, d I forgot about that. That's uh, a big one. That's one of the ones when people are like, is it, it's like, what's Ohio State going to be this year? I'm like, good. Like, they're going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who they replaced him with? You know, I don't. I know who they. I did. I did. I know, and I made a bunch of snarky comments about their new defensive coordinator. But uh, Tim Drevno, wow, really? 
I have not seen Tim Drevno in. Oh, you, oh my gosh, where? you're right. It's a, he was at Stanford for a hot minute. Yeah. Um, why does his name pop out for me though? Like it seemed. I mean, I know he's at USC for like a cup of coffee. He's real. If you take a look at the positions, he was he's an had. offensive line coach with Harbaugh at Stanford, oh. and he went with. And, wow, that's. And then he went with Harbaugh to the NFL. Oh, you know why he jumps out is because people at USC thought he was trash. Oh, yeah, and actually, then he went to be the offensive line coach. And he didn't work. Now he did not work out as the offensive coordinator at Michigan. Um, I think was more of the problem. But yeah, like he did not last. He did. He only was only USC for one year. Hmm. Well, he came back too. He he did two stints there because he was there from eighteen to twenty. And it, you know why his name jumps out is because uh, Alicia like was just just dunking on him over and over again so I, that's interesting i mean it's an interesting name we'll have to keep an eye on to see i mean and it's not like ucla has recruited particularly well at the offensive line position so um i guess that's a question right like you know i know john Gaines returns antonio mafia returns are they going to have uh the line to be able to protect dtr now he is able to go on the run when he needs to um yeah but i don't think he prefers to um sometimes he does which is kind of fun i think i mean i i would say though like despite him not working at USC, you look at that experience and it's mostly, you know, running the football. Well, it's, it could work. Like, I mean, this is, this is not like, I mean, this hire, you know, a guy who has both experience at the NFL and significant power five offensive line coach experience ain't bad. My face right now is when I look at like a, uh, abstract expressionism painting like, mm, i mean i don't know <laughs> but I mean, like, I, well, what i don't want to do is like i don't want to I, what i don't want to do is like overreact to like one year at usc because like as an offensive line coach at stanford was really good and he was you know he was mostly good at the nfl i would think so okay all right well i think that's we will see if he's able to, to pull it out there you know my second question is in the passing game right dtr remains but they they lose greg dulcich who was a walk-on tight end that uh you know chip kelly turned into a superstar and they right. they return uh michael uh as i think i forget ezekiel he came from uh miami like just this big big uh tight end who has the the body and we all know chip kelly's love for walk-ons but let's see if he's able to turn somebody that actually has like uh you know the the talent on paper into somebody to catch the ball they get jake bobo from um i think he came from duke uh logan loyal i mean like i, I just i'm looking at the wide receiving core and i'm like i don't know about this but like but you know <laughs> can, can kelly do some witchcraft and move the ball with uh, a tight end that hasn't produced and Zach Charbonnet, you know, like maybe he can, that that's, I think that's one of the bigger questions of the PAC 12 this year. I mean, I like they're terrifying at, at wide receiver. I mean, there's no other way to put like Duke was, I mean, like Bilbo may turn out to be fine, but Duke was God awful last year. I mean, one of the worst power five teams maybe ever, I think maybe only that, like one of those last Colorado years after John Embry actually graded out worse than this last Duke team. They lose Coda to Oregon. They just, it just feels like, I mean, this is the one where it just feels like, man, UCLA really could have used, and maybe it's, you know, could have used some better recruiting to start with. 
but they really just could have used some somebody through the transfer portal portal here more than like Bobo, right? Like, I mean, and I'll grant you, like, it's not the sexiest de- destination to transfer to if you're a wide receiver. <laughs> you know, like you you know they're gonna throw they they're gonna run the football, and when they do throw it, it's probably gonna be the the tight end. Um, but you do kind of wonder, right? Like, like in a little bit, like we talk about Utah, which is in, in some ways similar offensively. Um, you know, without like the dimension that they will be missing and something that will keep them, you know, from reaching what they're, you know, you know, the full ceiling of an offense might be is they, they're not going to have anybody that can really take the top off an offense or defense. No, I totally agree. I think one name to keep a lookout for, and I'm skeptical because he's been there for three years and I keep saying, keep a lookout for him is Casimir Allen. Um, Oh yeah. Kelly went up and rated him from the track team. He's super fast. And who was the player that he got to the NFL a couple of years ago? He was part of that, the team that um, came back from like 70 points to beat Washington state in that one game. Oh they, yeah. They put him everywhere. Like I'm, I'm just interested to see if Allen can actually do that, but oh, I Felton. Yeah. Felton, he was so freaking good. Yeah. Oh man. And he kind of came at it. I mean, like he was a piece before Kelly was there, but Kelly turned him into a star. It's possible that that could happen with Allen. Like he's that fast, but it hasn't happened in the in like it didn't happen last year, and uh, I was really interested in him when he was a running back. It looks like they're going to move him into like I mean I guess that's the case I'm making. They're moving him into that that position that Kelly makes up. That's like do whatever we'll just we'll get you the ball somewhere. So yeah. <laughs> that actually could be Allen this year. So keep a lookout for him. But overall, when it comes to the pass catchers, I am I'm curious to see what happens. Um, I and- mean, they might need like Jaden Marshall, who they just signed. So like who's like six one one eighty? He's a four star. They might have to have him come in and like like they might have to have him come in and contribute immediately, you know. Or you know they the, another like as you start that's their only four star <coughs> wide receiver. After that, you know they've got you know one three star wide receiver in there. Um, yeah, they might have to have. Oh, I mean, I guess they got they did get what uh, they got the the guy from UCF too. He seems pretty light, six one one seventy. <laughs> that's gotta be that's gotta be his high school. I mean, you would think they would put his college weight. That's gotta be his high school weight. <laughs> like that can't be his that can't be his college weight. That's like me, me like minus five pounds and two inches. That's not good. That's not a good right. sign. <laughs> like, that's the pro- I mean, so they've got. Uh, I mean, like, the, but that part, I mean, like, I, th- I think they're going to be fine. I mean, I think the, the thing with Drevno is though, is like, and, and plugging him in is like, it's mostly been working and like Kelly's offense is like, I think it's okay. Um, given where you're putting him and what is largely a functional situation offensively, you know, and where you have guys that have had some good coaching already in place. Um, but yeah, I, I'm totally skeptical on like all, like what, what in the world, how are they even like, who is Thompson? Like, again, like it's all going to key off the run game and go to the tight end, but it, it, it's a little ugly for the pass catchers. Kelly reminds me of like somebody, somebody on like a work team that just doesn't really have their act together. But when you really need them, like they'll go on the road and close like a, a giant oh, yeah. sale and then they'll just sit and do nothing for, you know, like it, he just, he just, the lack of effort. And then we, you know, and we're about to dunk. We've been dunking on him for years. And then he finally gets to that, that eight win mark. And you're like, oh, I guess, I guess. I mean, he's, 
I guess we'll keep him on staff. He does he does close. <laughs> but hot damn, well, can no, you jump finally, on the phone? You know? He got to eight wins and finally fought, fought, fired Jerry Azanaro. Like, finally fired him. <laughs> and then went out and hired Bill McGovern, who's, who's like, has Jerry Azanaro's exact resume. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, let's flip over the defense here. And I, I mean, like, my like my one question for the defense is what what the f is this defense? But um, do you do you have any questions about uh, the defense as you're looking at the roster? I mean, I got a lot of questions. I mean, like, let's start with some of the let's start with some of the players they. T- I mean, like, cause like they did, they did pretty well. I think at um like they got Jalen Jeffers out of the portal from Oregon at offensive tackle, but like they did less. They did a lot less well. I think, I mean, I will say now they did do pretty well. The two edge rushers they got out of North Texas, the Murphy brothers yeah. were, those are pretty good gets. But after that, they got an, I mean, they got another player from Duke, Gary Smith, <laughs> you know, they got a player from Harvard. They got a guy, you and I saw him play in Houston a couple years ago, Azizi Hearn. Oh yeah. Who was a walk on at Arizona. <laughs> Transfer to Wyoming. Um, and then uh, played pretty well for Wyoming-ish. But, like, I don't know if you remember this. Um, that When he came in, Houston immediately. Oh, they were um, picking on him all they, day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, because I'm, God, I'm trying to remember that. Who's that quarter? He went to Miami. Who's that quarterback? Um, I, I, oh. know, I know who you're talking about, but yeah. Like, yeah, but anyway, so Houston's quarterback loved to show I mean, He had a nice arm and a nice deep ball. He loved to show it off. So as soon as Hearn comes in, they're like, oh, yeah, like just deep balls. And he just <laughs> kept picking on him. And I was like, oh, you know, when he transferred and went to Wyoming, I was like, that's probably a better fit. Um, and now the, the UCLA, I mean, UCLA picked him up. And I was like, wow, it's it's come to this. <laughs> That was funny because I saw I saw that name. I'm like, where do I remember that guy from? So yeah, and like we <laughs> yeah. have him as the starting nickel. That's not good. Like this. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, great. You're like, you know, like now. <clears throat> it's not going to be like full on, um, like you know, just like smoke if you got him, um, like that Houston offense where like Pat, like you know, they're going to be like, oh, Hearns in the game, time to throw nothing but deep balls, um. You know, but like it's he's not he's not a guy that's going to give you a tremendous amount of confidence. This defense last season, I mean, as we talked about, it was finally enough to get Azanaro fired. They were at 58 overall. That was improvement for them, but that is still a very bad power five defense. Uh, they really struggled with drive efficiency. You could put together drives against this UCLA defense, and they stunk against the pass. 69 an effective pass, but only 54 an effective rush, and that had been sort of their calling card, if you will, was that they were pretty stout up the middle in defending the run. Um, I don't know. I mean, like there, it, when you go through this too deep, you know, you don't see anyone that you look at and you think, Oh, you know, that guy has a potential to get like, get drafted at nose tackle. Like there's nobody like that on this team right now. Yeah. And I think if you're a UCLA fan, you're pointing to Jay Toya, who is the four to five star transfer from USC. But apparently in spring, he's not been the truth. Like he'll probably start, but He's not um, he's not there yet, so it'll be interesting to see if he's able to jump in. But you're right with the, the Murphy brothers. It looks like they're they're going to see the fields um, uh, fairly yeah. often. So I'm curious to see what they're able to do. 
Uh, any other questions here for UCLA before we move to USC? No, they're they're. I mean, the, I feel like at this point, like we sort of know what we're gonna get. Like, uh, like it's like they should they should be pretty good next year. Like you know, they, yeah. the defense has a shot to maybe be better because they weren't very good. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go to USC, and uh, I think I, look, I was looking at this team, and man, uh, I think the first thing to point out before I do questions is. I don't think I've seen a unit go from like me being incredibly skeptical to me going like, holy crap, uh, more than the wide receiving core for USC. I mean, look, I think, I think um, Graham Harrell was a bad offensive coordinator, so it's possible that they just weren't making the most of the wide receivers they had. But when you take a look at where they were to where they are now, right? Like they just picked up Jordan Addison and then you take a look up and down the roster. They got Mario Williams from Oklahoma, Brendan Rice from Colorado, Kyle Ford apparently is playing very well. Keon Ware Hudson um, is also pushing. I mean, it's to the point like where Taj Washington, the transfer from Miami and Terrell Bynum might not see the field. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have Michael Jackson uh, Jr. there, Gary Bryant's like this is an excellent wide receiving core. This might I have to like double check, right? So don't don't hold me to this, but it is certainly if it's not the best wide receiving core in the Pac-12, it's like it's one of the top 3 and that's Oh that, no, who yeah. would you who would you put ahead of them? They just signed the reigning Bolitnikov winner. Yeah, oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I um I I'm, I'm trying to look up and down because it might be t- Stanford they're better than Stanford so maybe they are the best wide receiving core uh it's not Colorado I think they are right like Utah no it's never you it's never don't don't Bryant don't ever say Utah Oregon State didn't bring anybody no they 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 just come on I mean like they got Addison there's nobody in the Pac-12 that has anything like this anymore it's not even close well the one let me I just want to look at Oregon real fast uh but they haven't produced that Oregon wide receiving core no it's 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 USC and it's not close that's awesome Yeah, I mean, and Mario Williams is a good get from Oklahoma. Um, you know, I mean, I think what's interesting when you go through this and you look is there's the real possibility that, I mean, because like outside of Drake London last year, most of the guys that were, you know, here with them last year were not very good. Um, I think they have a real opportunity for those guys to maybe take a step forward. But if they don't, they have a bunch of guys who have either produced or were relatively highly regarded recruits somewhere else to play, you know, that if they went to, you know, if they were in a, just a, in a place where they're not doing a ton of rotations, like they're fine. That's, that's really, I mean, like, and then when you take a look at the, I have actually no questions on the offense, right? Cause you have, you have the quarterback in place, you have the running backs, right? Like I, they were awful at the run last year. Uh, but you bring in Travis Dye, you bring Austin Jones from Stanford. Uh, you already have Darwin Barlow. Like, I think they will be okay. They bring they they basically their entire offensive line returns. I guess the one question on offense is can they run the ball finally? And we'll see if it was uh, the offensive line or if it was scheme. I think it's scheme, Rob. I think it's scheme. <laughs> I mean, I think. Oh, well, I mean, I think it's scheme. I don't think the coaching was great, um, either. But like, I mean, I just. I, I like Lincoln Riley runs a very sophisticated rushing attack, you know, on and that he's you know has the air raid on top of. So I expect this to be a very different offensive line. They made a really good hire on their offensive line coach. Um, you know, getting the, the, the guy from Texas A&M. Um, I think that, I, I think this offensive line has a shot to be a lot better, you know, than, uh, than they were. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, 
I'm, I'm a little, I think people, I think people are too down on the offensive line and too down on the offense. Right. Uh, and they shouldn't be like part of what made Caleb Williams work last year at Oklahoma versus Spencer Rattler was that Williams, like he's mobile, right. You know, like that was the problem. Like Rattler's problem wasn't that, um, he had gotten worse as a quarterback. His problem was that the offense had gotten a little bit worse around him <laughs> and, and they needed somebody like Williams who could buy time to make the offense work again. Williams is going to bring that skill to the table. You know, like I, th- I think they're going to be fine offensively. Yeah. I guess the only, like the, the two questions I have would be, is, will they pick up the offense in the first year uh, well enough to win nine games? I think the second question is, can Caleb Williams not turn the ball over, which he had some stinkers last year. And can he stay healthy? Because they got nobody behind him. Well, they like Miller Moss. I mean, you know, like, you know, (laughs) would Miller Moss start on like half the Pac-12 teams? No, but uh, maybe Colorado. Sure. Sure. They like Miller Moss. Like, of course, like they have to say they like Miller Moss. If Miller Moss were to freaking transfer, they'd be dead. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yeah. Okay. So I think I think we're both like pretty pretty we're on the same page with the offense. The defense is where I am worried because they weren't good last year and now they bring in Alex Grinch and I don't know what to I don't know what to say about the I mean like here here's the thing is like you take a look at the the players that are down um as as being the starters and you're like ah, I don't know but then you look at the the transfers, right? They bring in like Bryson Shaw, the Ohio State safety. They bring in Shane Lee, a linebacker at Alabama, defensive end Romello Height from Auburn, like Earl Baquette, defensive tackle from TCU. Like some of these guys are going to work out. Uh, Mahiki, uh, 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 Mackie Blackman, the cornerback from Colorado, who, by the way, they love. And it's, yeah. and you kind of just go, okay, but. Ugh, I, I mean, I, the whole. I don't even have specific questions about this defense. It's more just what, <laughs> more just the defense in itself is a question. I don't know. Maybe you can articulate this better, Rob. But I'm staring at it, and it's like, you know, like the remember those those 3D pictures where you had to cross your eyes to like. You know, that's kind of what I'm looking yeah. at when I look at the roster. So they really need. I mean, like they needed a full defensive makeover, and I think they've attempted to get there, right? Um, and there's places that I think. You, like here's where I think they are in decent shape for that. I think they're pretty good at corner. I like Latrell McCutcheon and I like Mickey Blackman quite. I mean, I, th- I think those are two good gets for them. Now that's not going to give them two guys that are like shut down corners. They're not going to be Alabama or Georgia level. They should be a lot better. Right. And if you have Covington and Domani Jackson in the mix behind them, Domani Jackson, of course, is the five-star player they signed. Uh, out of high school, um, you start to look at it and you can kind of squint and see like a decent enough, you know, like too deep, right. With, you know, with that. And they have some players, of course, that they are bringing back. Um, where it, where I get worried is it's safety. Cause they sucked at <laughs> safety in the secondary. We talked about it a little bit. They were really bad. Def- they were really bad defending the pass last year. Um, this USC defense, um, they were at 119 and effective pass. That's a major problem for them, you know, and it, it is, it's, I mean, it like, you, you know, you, you like the transfer in somewhat from Ohio state. I mean, I'm not 
I don't, I don't look at that one and think like, Oh yeah, like that's clearly going to solve their problem. Um, I think he's an interesting guy and in Brian Shaw. I don't think he's pro. I mean, he's not transferring cause he's going to start on a Buckeye on the, you know, for the Buckeyes. Um, USC is happy to take him. Um, I think the linebackers are largely fine, right? Like Eric Gentry comes in, um, from, uh, Arizona state. That's a really good get. Um, I think Shane Lee is also pretty good, you know, in Romello height, you know, those are also pretty good gets. I think the linebackers again, like also with what they have, you know, existing are fine. They should work out. Man, my questions though, defensive line is like where it turns next, right? Like you don't have a bunch of guys transferring in. Like you're not seeing the kinds of like a Blackman where you really like what they were doing at Colorado. Um, and they're taking like a pretty well-deserved step up, you know, or you see guys like transferring from other really, you know, like top programs. I mean, defensive line, they took a guy from San Jose state. <laughs> they took a guy from Wyoming. <laughs> I mean, Sol Solomon bird was pretty good at Wyoming, but you know, the mountain West is a very different animal. Uh, they took a guy from Kansas state and they took a guy from TCU. And that is just a really different, I mean, like, and they had real, real problems up front last year. And that, you know, I mean, I, I think with, you know, the other, you know, the, the, you know, the player that's off to the NFL for them um, on the defensive line, the other Drake, Drake Jackson, like, I just, I mean, this is, this is my, like my biggest area of concern. Like they've been able to put together depth, right? Like, but they, it's all of a sudden become like, man, like they really need Corey Foreman to step up, right? Like he's really got to play like the recruit that they signed. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, for good or for worse, I compare USC to Utah because, right, like I think a lot of USC fans want to get them to a point where they're beating Utah. And I think the, the offense is going to be pretty good. It might yeah. be a little shaky in the first year, but like, but the the bottom of it is the 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 floor is very high, um, and the ceiling could be very high. Where the defense, it was so bad last year. Like I don't think they're going to be a sub one hundred defense, but they have to get so they have to make up so much ground so fast that I think the ceiling is going to be pretty low for them, and the basement's going to be higher. If that makes sense, like I just. It, I would be shocked if they had like a top 40 defense coming from a hundred. Like that's just a big ask given new coaches, new coaching staff, you know, a bunch of transfers that had to figure out the system, uh, the, you know, player like player changeover. I don't know. I, is that, would you be surprised if they got to 40? I, you know, I look, I mean, the defense is really like the, the, the tough thing is you can always talk yourself into like the talent at USC and you can say like, Oh, good coaching should turn it around. I think, I think in the thirties would be about their ceiling, you know, like it, it's hard for me to see them like putting it together, like the Island, like, cause this, there's some parts you like, but it's a bit of the Island of misfit toys um, defensively. Like they've, they've, they've taken some good players. They've also taken, it's not like on offense where it's like, they're picking among, you know, like the best transfers available. They are, I mean, the USC's done reasonably well for who's available defensively, but it's, it's a tough, it's, I, I think this is a tougher build and I think Grinch is going to have his hands full here. Okay. Well, I mean, again, one of the most fascinating teams in the conference 
and keep a lookout for Grinch. I'm just curious to see if he's if he can really put it together because that was the knock on Oklahoma the last couple of years yeah. is that that defense get get where it needs to. All right, let's leave it there, Rob. This is a good. Uh, we only have two more teams to ask basic questions at before we really dive into um, the season. We have trap our trap game episode. We haven't gone through each team's schedule. I think there's a lot that we uh, have to look forward to. So stay tuned. We will catch you next week. And thanks for listening.